back everyone to a new episode of Honest Iceland Talk, your Iceland podcast. My name is Steffi and I'm your host for this episode because believe it or not, Ali takes one episode break from the podcast, which I suggested because he worked pretty hard and pretty long last week. And we do not batch our content right now as professional smart podcasters would do. So I decided I will and want to do this episode alone. And he can relax his voice a little bit before recording our next episode. So I hope you bear with me. We have a pretty cool topic for this week. It's about moving to Iceland in 2021. And maybe you think now, okay, don't care, don't want to move there, whatever. <laughs> don't stop the episode yet because I will show you some facts, statistics and numbers because oh, it sounds so good. Don't we all love numbers and statistics? And a few more facts that you maybe don't know. And I mean, every person that ever visited Iceland has a little bit of feeling to move here. You know, this first excitement. Okay, not everyone, but most people, at least people that I've been talking to. So what I hear a lot is, oh, yeah, Iceland's so great. I would like to move here, but I can't because X, Y, Z. But maybe this episode will help you a little bit to decide and to get a bit of an overview of what to expect when you come here, which means housing, salary, costs of living, stuff like that, and also a few crime statistics. Yes. So let's start. If you're a citizen of the EU or the EEA, the European Economic Area, or of the EFTA, the European Trade, no, European Free Trade Association, well, then you can pretty easily come to Iceland and live plus work here for the first three months. So you can enter the country and you don't need any special requirements or permits. And you can do that legally for up to three months. Also, the website I'm referring to, the scrau.is, also says something about three to six months. So just check this out to be sure. Maybe they changed it in the last couple of months. After the three or the six months, you have to register Iceland as your legal domicile. So you have to get a social security number, which is the Kenetala. So Kenetala is the word you have to know. And the Kenetala is your magical number that you carry with you. And you pretty much give away to authorities, to shops, to... You need it almost for everything you needed to get a gym membership you needed if you want to buy something and get like a guarantee on it so you can return it later you needed to to get a Costco card to basically for everything and this number is pretty much distributed to 
to a lot of places, not like in the US, I believe. It's a big secret. Your social security number is super protected here in Iceland. You just give it away pretty, pretty freely. And I've never really heard about fraud of someone using someone else's Kenitala. So I don't think that happens a lot. Why the system is working so well for Iceland? I think it's because it's such a small country and has only a population of about 400,000. So there is not a lot of Kenetala theft and fraud. That's at least what I believe. Tell me if I'm wrong. So pretty, pretty easy peasy EU or Schengen citizen. That's what I did about four years ago. I just packed my bag, went to Iceland. So basically, it was pretty easy to find a job back then. Once you moved here, you could just go to places, hotels, shops, restaurants, hand in your CV, just chat with the people working there or with the, with the supervisor, ask about open positions. And if they liked you, they might have hired you right on the spot. So it was pretty easy peasy to get a job back then in 2016. That's when I moved here. If you come to Iceland and you're already a professional in your field, of course, then you can apply for. If you're an engineer, if you're a teacher, then you can, of course, apply for a job. If you do not speak Icelandic yet, maybe that's a little bit harder or not. Maybe I think it's it's harder, but there are some companies that are international with with location in Iceland and then you can just apply and probably will be fine without having Icelandic skills right away. So there are different options and there are websites where you can find jobs, although most of them are in Icelandic. So this going door to door worked pretty well in tourism before the big C in 2020. And also what works pretty well is a recommendation. So if you know people, if you know someone, if you're connected and they can recommend you to someone, that's always it counts a lot more for Icelanders if they have a recommendation than to just hire someone that they don't know and have no no connection to. So connection is the thing here in Iceland. And if you're coming from outside the EEA, EFTA, Schengen, it gets a little bit more complicated because you need a residence permit. Yeah, you need a residence permit to move to Iceland and especially after three months. So you could travel here for three months and then if you want to stay here and start to work, you need a permit. And I believe that you have to apply for this before you officially move here. So there are a lot of things attached to moving here from, from Canada, United States, anywhere outside of the EU and Schengen. Of course, it gets more complicated now for the UK, Although I was reading that if you live in Iceland before, if you were already registered in Iceland before the 1st of January 2021, then you're still protected by the agreement. So they're not going to suddenly throw all the people from UK out of Iceland and tell them they need to get like all these special permits. I don't have experience with it personally. Obviously, to move from a... From a country outside of the EU 
But after talking to uh, fellow foreigners here in Iceland, I know that this process is very painful. It costs money. You need a lot of documents and it's not that easy to do. Of course, then there are exceptions. For example, I think if you marry an Icelander, everything gets easier. Or if you, if you have a child born in Iceland, I think there are some exceptions where it gets a little bit easier. But for all that I know, you need to pass a language test to become an Icelandic citizen. And you need some basic Icelandic skills as well. So if you're interested in moving, then you can look deeper into this on the website that I will link in the episode notes, kraut.is. A few other things to consider before moving to Iceland, my pro and con list. There we go. The first point on my pro list is Iceland is one of the most LGBT friendly countries in the world. And that is because in 2009, Iceland's Prime Minister Johanna Sigurdardóttir became the world's first openly gay leader. And in 2010, the Althingi, the Parliament of Iceland, voted to change the country's marriage law. 49 of the country's 36 PMs voted in favor of the bill and none voted against. And the law changed so that marriage is the legal union of two individuals and not only of a man and a woman. So Johanna, the Prime Minister became one of the first people in Iceland to get married to her partner after this law was passed. Of course, you might have heard about this. We have a big celebration every year, the Reykjavik Pride Festival. And in 2010, Iceland's President Gudni did not only participate, but also, according to GayIceland.is, was the first president in the world to officially participate in a Pride Festival. He's still the president of Iceland. He was voted again in, into office last year, in 2020. In 2015, the Church of Iceland voted to allow same-sex couples to marry in its churches. So to sum it up, Iceland is a great place to live for gay people and all the gay people that I know are pretty happy with feeling safe in Iceland and feeling accepted in Iceland. Actually, most of the gay people I know are from Poland. So hi to you in case you're listening. And uh, it makes a lot of sense to me because I was reading while doing my research that according to the ILGA Europe's 2020 report, the status of LGBTQ rights in Poland is the worst among European Union countries. This can definitely be one reason to move to Iceland. And besides that, what Ali mentioned in one of our past episodes, he feels that Iceland just erased 
pretty freely. So people let their kids walk around to explore the world around them and be creative and just be very open-minded. And I would say that most Icelanders, especially the younger generation, is very open-minded. And, you know, the old generation can be difficult from time, but I guess that's not just in Iceland, that's in in every other country as well. A few numbers about foreigners. So immigrants made 15.2% of the population of Iceland in 2020. People born in Poland were the largest group of immigrants, followed by people from Lithuania and people from the Philippines. So if you go on websites, official news websites or anything in Iceland, like the healthcare, you will probably find that the website is available in the three languages, Icelandic, English and Polish. And that is the reason for it, which I think is very good. Because no one moves here and right away speaks 100% Icelandic, so it's always helpful to have information in other languages. And I've been talking to Ali a little bit last weekend when we were in the car. I was actually saying to him we should have a car talk podcast where we just record ourselves talking in the car about random things. And I was asking him, why are some Icelanders so angry and frustrated when when foreigners talk English to them or when they realize that they're talking to a foreigner? And he said there is one one main reason for that and it is change. People don't like change and Icelanders don't like change. If you look into the statistics, the percentage of foreigners now 15% last year was 3.6% in 2005. So Icelanders are still not quite used to having this amount of foreigners or immigrants in Iceland and meeting them in their daily life. So not just tourists, but people who actually live here and haven't mastered the Icelandic language yet. So I think I mentioned this in a past episode. I always try to not take it personally, but of course it will always make me angry if someone is mean to me for that reason. But it happens mainly with an older generation and I know a few sentences in Icelandic and I'm trying to use them. At this point, people usually don't get annoyed with me. It just depends on the situation and if if it's in a in a work environment where they just expect you to speak Icelandic. But yeah, let's let's look a little bit into how hard is it to learn Icelandic. Over the past years the government added a lot more options about learning Icelandic. The University of Iceland of course would be my number one suggestion. The one year of the Icelandic diploma which made me pretty confident in basic Icelandic and of course there are a lot of schools and even classes that you can take um, when you're from a specific nation. So for example Icelandic for Polish people or Icelandic for people from the Philippines. So at different options. And I think it's pretty good to have 
that kind of level because if you're in a class with 10 different nations, everybody has a different level of Icelandic, different grammar and different understanding of the language. So it can be quite hard to please everyone. But you can find a lot of courses. You can even by now take online courses. And like I said, University of Iceland. When someone asks me how long does it take to learn Icelandic, I really don't have a good answer for for the question because it just really depends on how hard you study and how well your language skills are. I mean, the more languages you know, the easier it gets to learn a new language. Um, Icelandic is supposed to be very easy for, for German speakers, which it probably is. It has a similar grammar and a lot of words are coming from the Germanic language. So it's it's quite easy to understand sometimes, but it's still hard to learn. And the reason why I don't speak it well enough yet after four years, I think it's just because I was lazy for a long time and I, I stopped to put any effort into it and I was frustrated. And there are all these reasons, you know, some people live here for 20 years and maybe don't speak Icelandic because they have a community that speaks their language and there is no need for them to learn it. So it really depends, obviously, if you want to be, co uh, if you want to be a part of the society, then it is recommended to learn at least the basics of Iceland. Let's come to the crime rate in Iceland. So I don't know how much you've heard of uh, Iceland being crimeless, but I definitely read a few articles and blog posts about this making Iceland this little fairy tale land where nothing bad ever happens. This is of course not true and I don't think there is a country that has a zero crime rate. Obviously Iceland has one of the lowest crime rates in the world. Instead of believing the English sources I went to the official police website the Löreglan website and checked one of their reports. So a few facts about crime rates. Criminal offenses increased by 3% between the years 2016 to 2018. And theft and burglary are the largest parts and uh, embezzlement offenses as well. Fraud has increased from year to year in the recent years mainly due to an increase in cyber crimes. There was one homicide committed in 2019, and at that time there were also two attempted murders. Overall, the number of violent crimes decreased between the years, so still talking about 16 to 18, but there was an increase in one category, which is domestic violence. From the special crime category, drug smuggling and drug crimes are the highest. So this is also something that in, in my perspective would be the highest just from what I'm reading in the news. Drug crimes are definitely a problem. However, overall, Iceland is a very safe country to live in. And also my personal feeling of safety is, is very high here in Reykjavik. I think there are some districts where I would not like to move necessarily and it's also something <laughs> a 
when I ask someone which is the which is the place in Reykjavik you think is the most unsafe, then a lot of people I, I get the same answer from a lot of people, which I don't want to mention here now because I think maybe someone will be offended. But there are some areas that are less safe and some areas that are more safe. We're never one hundred percent safe anywhere. I'm still, you know, looking sometimes behind me or be a little bit careful when I walk um, in in the dark, which is basically all all of winter. But it's just because I think I'm listening to many crime podcasts and being a little bit paranoid. There was, of course, one case from the last years that sent shockwaves through the nation in 2017, the murder of a Birtna. And if you're interested, you can read a little bit about it. I don't want to dive too deep into this case now because there is a crime junkie episode, which is fine. They get a few things wrong and also a few pronunciations wrong. Ali and I were thinking about doing one episode and talking about this case because it has a little bit also to do with what changed in in the view of Icelanders, how safe they feel in their country. But we're still not sure if, we, if we're going to talk about this case. It's just because in the Crime Junkie episode, they talked about um, the sources they had were, of course, the English Icelandic news, which is not as good. There are Icelandic media news and there are the English news. And the English news are often just really broadly referring to tourists and, and tourist topics. And you cannot really find a source that would perfectly translate all the Icelandic news to you. So especially crimes and um, cases like this is not often covered with all the information in in the English media or international media. So I think it's good to take a look into what was published by Icelandic media outlets. And this case was widely covered with every step they made forward. That's why I think covering this case from an Icelandic perspective will reveal just a few more information and make people understand what exactly was going on. And the reason why Icelanders were so deeply shocked by this case is that something like this really never happened before. Usually people feel very safe, even in Reykjavik, walking home alone. And this is what people usually do. You go downtown to party and then you walk home alone or you call a cab. But if you if you don't want to pay for a cab, which is pretty expensive here in Iceland, You just walk back to your house. I mean, even Ali did that and he lived pretty far away. So he easily walked 50 minutes back home, especially because back then, I think, yeah, back then there was no there was no night bus. By now we have like a night schedule. I mean, if we're if we are listening to crime podcasts, I think everybody tries to distance themselves a little bit from a case just to just, you know, we are like we like to tell ourselves that this and that could never happen to us because we would never be going there or visiting this place or leaving our doors unlocked or something like that. So we're always trying to make a distance between what happened and us. And in case of Birtna, everybody was Birtna and everybody can identify with with her and her way home. And I think this is the reason that a lot of also younger generation people started to realize that 
things can happen, even in Iceland, which is such a safe country. So I think this case definitely changed the perspective of a lot of people. So it's good to be careful, but not too paranoid. like to talk about housing prices in Iceland and generally especially in a capital area renting an apartment is very expensive and especially if you would like to have a studio apartment you will definitely have a hard time to find one first and then it will cost you about 150,000 rent a month so that is for most people, more than half of their salary. So best thing is to find a shared apartment with someone, maybe find some roommates, or if you're going to study in Iceland, then you have the opportunity to apply for student housing. So I think studying in Iceland pretty much gives you a few good options. First of all, it's easier to apply for a permit when you're not a citizen of the EU. And also housing can be much cheaper if you get a spot in that university housing. You get a lot of discounts as well if you're a student. So think about it. Studying Icelandic. I found a website that shows average costs for a single person per month, just living, costs of living. They say it's 368,000 kroner a month, which is, I would say, is quite high estimate. Um, 268,000 something something would be 2,350 euro and 2,856 US dollars, just as, as average living costs. So the salary also according to this website, I will link it below, is for customer support $46,000 a year, which is 6 million krona and 500,000 krona a month. I would be surprised if you get this in customer support. Maybe some people get this. I don't know anyone. The minimum salary in Iceland is 320,000. If, if you would think you need at least 360,000 average to survive in Iceland for a month, but you only get paid 320,000 before taxes, which is 287 after taxes, you will have a very hard time to sustain yourself. And 287,000, which is the minimum salary after taxes, that's around 1,800 euro and 2,200 US dollars. So this gives you a little bit of a broad view what you can earn. Just they also uh, mention receptionist gets in average thirty four thousand dollars, which is three hundred sixty thousand kroner. So that makes more sense. Although I don't think as a receptionist you would get three hundred sixty thousand. That's in my opinion that's too high. But of course here in Iceland always check with. The workers union we have very very strong unions that will help you with any issues you have with your employer and any salary related problems or questions you have they have free counseling and you can use their office hours call them message them so in conclusion if you are looking for a new adventure in your life and you're thinking about 
Moving to Iceland, even if it's just for a few months, go for it. Of course, in 2021, it will be much more difficult to find a job as unemployment is pretty high right now, especially amongst immigrants. But times will hopefully get better and going back to tourism rising and more people visiting the country. I met many people that came from different countries to live in Iceland. Some of them, of course, went back to their countries and it was just an adventure they took and the risk they took. And when it doesn't work out, you can always go, go back or travel even further and explore which place will be best for you to live. But I think it's definitely worth trying and living in Iceland, of course, gives you the opportunity to explore the country in, an, in another way, in a different way. You have more time, you can visit more places, you can get to know the culture. And to conclude this episode on a fun note, I want to tell you about the hoax that was circulating in the last couple of years about people getting paid $5,000 per month if they marry an Icelandic woman. And it says because of the high proportion of females than males in the country, the government has decided to grant $5,000 per month to immigrants marrying Icelandic women and that the priority in this will go to North Africa's population. I don't know, the article, the original, the original source is not available anymore. I tried to find it. But it's of course not true. No one will pay you any money. So I just want to tell you again that is not true. And if you read something like that, eh, no. But it's, it's funny to think that they would do that just because there are more men than women in Iceland. So on this note, I hope you have a wonderful Thursday, Friday and a beautiful weekend. Next week, I'm here again together with Ali and I hope you will be with us. See you then. Thank you for listening.